0: Some of those uh, stars of Christmas that we've been looking at are these characters within the Christmas story. Um, One in particular are well known. Um, They're they're found almost in every mall. They're going to be found on Christmas trees. They're going to be found everywhere. And I'm talking about angels. Obviously, what's interesting is that angels appear not just at Christmas, they show up also at Easter. But have you noticed as Christians, we don't like put angels around our house on Easter time. Typically, you usually focus on Christmas because angels play such a Prominent role at Christmas time. And yet, here's the funny thing, guys a lot of what you and I know about angels and what we depict about angels has nothing to do with the Bible, it has more to do with like Greek and Egyptian mythology. And maybe today what I'm going to do is mess up your view of angels a little bit, but that's because I'm messing up the view of Christmas. Because we want to dig behind the legends, dig behind the stories, dig back behind all the things we think we know about Christmas, and look at the stars of Christmas. Because here's the thing, God put these beings, put all these characters in this story on Christmas purpose, right? They are there for a reason. God wants us to learn from them. But as we layer on legends and we layer on all these things that we think we know, oftentimes we miss the actual point of the scriptures. So what we've been doing in this series is digging back, looking at these people. And I want to start with talking about angels today, in particular, uh, one particular angel that we'll get to meet later. And But before I do that, I want you guys to have the right idea of angels in your head. I don't want you coming in here with, with these weird ideas from Egypt and Greece about angels. I want you to get the real angels that, that we're dealing with kind of locked into your brain. So let me give you a few, myth, a few myths about angels real quick. Myth number one is, is a common one that's out there, is that number one, we think humans become angels when they die. Anybody heard this one? right? That when you die, you become an angel. That's, that's a myth. It's not true. I, I'm sorry, Clarence, you don't, you don't get to do that and, and, and you don't get wings and all that stuff. Okay, so that's your first myth. No, when we die, we stay human beings. The angelic or the, the spiritual beings of the world will stay their own kinds of beings. We don't become something else. Second, another myth is that, here's a weird one, we think all spiritual beings are angels. In fact, we only seem to categorize um, there's humans and angels. And actually, that's that's a myth too. Um, there are lots of different kinds of spiritual beings. In fact, um, scholars have noted, especially recently with uh, so much information coming out of like the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff over the last um, 50 to 100 years, that what's the primary term used in the Old Testament for spiritual beings or creatures that are spiritual made by God is the word Elohim, which is actually translated in your Bible, can be gods with a little g and s at the end, or can be God when referencing the God of Israel, because he is the Elohim of Elohims. He's above all of them. He's the creator God who's made everything. He is the spiritual being of spiritual beings. But all other spiritual beings are disembodied humans are called Elohim, uh, different kinds of spiritual beings, cherubim, all these, they're called Elohim. You get into these zones. And so suddenly you realize there's Different kinds of spiritual beings out there. We know of the cherubim. You've heard of the cherubim, right? They they look kind of freaky. They've got wings. They cover and they've got face four faces. And and this is an artist rendition of that. And they stand there speaking. And cherubim are freaky. I don't ever want to meet one. That's even a, that's not even the ancient Babylonian rendition. You know, these are these weird creatures. You got seraphim, which are like. They could be fiery beings, or they could be uh, serpentine-like beings. There's a debate over how to translate the word and what's behind it, but seraphim are there. And then you've got some spiritual beings showing up as wheels. You've seen Ezekiel, and you have these wheels that are moving with eyes on them. You've got some that are stars. You've got this kind of odd concept about spiritual beings. Obviously, God is a spiritual being, and he is God. He's He's the triune God who's created all things. He's not an angel in the sense that we would think of it. Now, Another myth is this, that angels are women or babies, right? I mean, there's the little baby cherubs. I mean, look at the difference between what we think of a cherub and what they thought of a cherub, right? Cherub, cherub. Which one's more scary, right? Okay, obviously we have done something with our angelic view. And so when we think of like angels, maybe some of you guys think of little babies floating around. But usually we think of these kind of Christmas angels, beautiful ladies with flowing robes who've got beautiful wings. And they're like, we're here to sing, you know, that kind of a thing. And you're like, welcome to Christmas. Nope. Nowhere in scripture is an angel declared ever to look like a woman. That's not offensive. It's just they say they look like men typically because they appear and they say this, a man showed up. And so what you get is not a picture of, of a woman with wings. In fact, there's no real indication that angels, when they use the term, have wings. Have, cherubim, cherubim have wings, but they're never cherubim are never called angels. And so it's kind of this odd thing that angels don't really have wings. They would just pretty much look like some dude that's just shown up out of nowhere. <laughs> you know... Selena's husband is this this really nice guy, and uh, he he would look like an angel. So I mean whatever. So, so when you get a, when you get Nick as an angel, no wonder they say do not fear. That is frightening. So all right, I had to do it. I just had to do it. Um, technically an angel. We're just gonna leave that there for fun. Uh, technically an angel is a job description of a spiritual being more than anything else. In fact, what's weird about the word angel in in the Hebrew and the Greek, both can be used not just of spiritual beings, they're used of God and they are used of humans. When they are going as messengers, that's all the word angel means is messenger with a special typically divine statement. So you have the angel of the Lord that is literally the second person of the Trinity on earth. And there in a sense, God is being spoken of as an angel. You have prophets that are called messengers, angels, and it won't be translated angel in your Bible, but it's the same word. In fact, so we get this reality that a messenger is a job description. Their job as an angel is to declare something from heaven to us. And now, so this gets us really important because what are angels all about? Well, angels are all about this one thing. I got to get that picture away. Okay, so angels are all about this. They're about giving us an inside look. When an angel shows up in Scripture, they are ready to give a message from heaven for an inside look about what God is doing, what's going on. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we we actually got to deck our tree out. Uh, it was fun. We were hanging out, and we turned Elf on because it's one of my favorite movies. Anybody love Elf? I love Elf. It's a, it's a great movie. And um, what's, what was fun is this time I turned on the special, like, DVD portion that'll pop these little tiny like um, documentaries up in the middle of the show. So you're like watching this scene and all these people are running around and, you know, Will Ferrell's is already tall, but these people are not that short. And they are using this forced perspective stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let's see how they do that. And so it's giving you this inside look on how they made the movie, why they chose the scenes they did, how they changed the story so they got it to where they wanted it to. And it was fascinating because you got an, a better view of what it was all about. You know, some of us would love an inside look sometimes. You're sitting there in life and you're going, like, maybe you even ask this God, what in the world are you doing? You ever ask that question? Just we asked that yesterday in our car. We were like, a bunch of weird stuff started breaking in our house and another thing broke. And suddenly we're trying to get my son to his soccer tournament and um, the on ramp is closed. We're like, this is weird. So it just led to some interesting conversations. Suddenly the, the shower broke on the, way home, on the way there. And so, like, all this stuff, my kids are like, what do you think God's trying to tell us? Is He didn't want us to go to the soccer game? What's going? It was like it was fun. It was a great question, good conversation. But I think we ask this question all the time, and God knows it. And what? What if God didn't leave you alone? What if He actually answered the question? How would He do it? In the ancient world, what He did is He, when He was ready to announce what He was doing and what He was about, He would send an angel, a messenger. And in this case, that's exactly what he does, thankfully, for two people, namely Mary and Joseph in the Christmas story. Can you imagine if God didn't send the angel to Mary, how this would have all gone down? Like, she wakes up one day, and she's just like, it's normal life, and several months later, she's like, what is going on around here? Why am I gaining weight? I don't understand. where did my period go? What's going on here? Uh, nothing's happened. Joseph, what's, you know, she would be freaking out. God, what is going on? But God doesn't do that to her. Said we see that there is a very real situation. Again, let's go back to it. We've been in this text. Let's go back to the text. Luke chapter 1. This is the announcement of the birth of Jesus. We put this in our Christmas story. It's part of the whole thing. But Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, going through verse 33. I want to show you again, we're back to the original story, Not, not our legends and stuff we tell, but I want to take us into the text. And what it says here is this, that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so we know this part of the story. And so he shows up, notice what he says. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is important. He starts off and he says, you're favored. This means you're graced. God has looked at you and said... pick you. I just want to give you a gift. That's what the word grace and favor means. It's not to earn it. It's that literally he just goes, here, I want to give this to you because I love you. I really believe what God is doing here is handing her this gift of love. And so she's wondering, what does this mean? What have I been favored with? What are you talking about? Angels don't show up. Sometimes they show up to judge things. Am Am I doomed? What's happening here? And so Gabriel continues, but she was greatly troubled. Of the saying, and tried to discern the sort of greeting it might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, emphasizing this love, this, this grace. You've been favor, you've been found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And Will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, that is a dense announcement. And this guy is telling this young lady, listen, you're going to have a child. God's going to bring about this, this boy in your womb and he is going to be the Messiah, the one you've all been waiting, the Christ, as, as it would be called in Greek. That's when we talk about Jesus Christ, it's not his last name, it's his title. It means the anointed one, the anointed king. And here you're going to have this one. They've been waiting for this child. All of Israel's been expectant, hoping that this Messiah, this Christ is going to come. And in fact, there's a fervent expectation in this time period, roughly around probably 5 to 3 BC. And so there's this intensity of expectation happening in the culture. And now here, Mary hears that she's been favored with having this child. Now, Some people might note that, like, oh, a nice favor, God. You're giving her all kinds of difficulty. Nice. She's going to go through shame. She's going to go through all this stuff. And there's a lot of weird internet stuff out there claiming, like, oh, well, God just made this happen to her. It's like some divine evil thing that he did to her. She had no choice. No. No. First of all, he says, I love you. I'm telling you ahead of time. This hasn't happened to her yet. In a very real sense, she may have had a choice here. God just doesn't act and put somebody through something like this without informing them first. So... Second, if you think this is some kind of horrible thing to get this kind of a gift that she was excited about and willing to take on because it has some horrible suffering after, I just need to say this. You have the wrong idea about how to receive gifts and what gifts do in a fallen world. And I want to clarify this for a minute because we get this all jacked up as Americans. Do you understand that no matter what gift God gives you, you get it in a fallen world? If God gave you the gift of that millions of dollars you've been looking for, you're going to have the headache of managing it. All the people who want a little piece of it and everything else that goes with it. It ain't nice. It ain't all beautiful and fun. There's a lot of stress involved with having a lot of finances. Do you think it'd be awesome to be the boss over everything? Well, that comes with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, a lot of hard decisions, a lot of... In- you want to... Have, oh, I can't... Wait. If he just gave me that, that one to be married to, you know, talk to some married people and find out if that's, the, if that's not a gift that's always like beautiful and roses all the time, right? No we won't even go into kids, okay? So look, when he gives you the gift of salvation, he never promised you it's going to go perfect. He never promised you that it was going to be roses and tulips and bunnies and unicorns. No, gosh, we have a whole culture that's been padded up thinking that once I find Jesus, everything's good and over. No, he promised you tribulation, difficulty, struggle, a fight against sin. Because you're receiving a gift in a fallen world. Do not be surprised that when Mary receives this gift, that yeah, it comes with consequences and difficulty. That doesn't mean it wasn't a good gift. It's still one of the... It's the greatest gift that was given to a woman. And she gets to bring about this Messiah. She's a little confused. She continues on, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And, and she says, and, and the angel picks it back up. He says, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, to be born will be called the Holy, the Son of God. And, and again, the angel gives this inside look even deeper. This isn't just the Messiah that they've all been waiting for. This, this king who they viewed would kick out Rome and give them freedom and help them take over the world and have this giant transformation and everybody would become Jewish. That was the mentality at the time. No, he says, we're gonna go take it one step even deeper. In fact, what's going to happen to you is so radical, so crazy, God, whole of God, is going to involve himself. Now, I'm sorry, but we have a very sexual culture, and many people read this all wrong. They read it sexually, and there's not a sexual tone to the entire thing, by the way, none of it. In fact, what's crazy is is there's very specific words being used here by the angel on purpose. The first term here is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This term literally is repeated by the author, Luke, in his second book. We know it as the book of Acts. And it happens when the church receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Same exact words. When God chooses to move in and live in the church, he says, I've come upon them. Hmm. Hmm. Second term here is, and the Most High will overshadow you. This overshadow term is fascinating terminology. The first time it ever appears is is in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. Moses has just built this tabernacle. All the people have built it. They set it up. He's anointed it thrown blood everywhere, done all this kind of interesting ritual stuff that, that is in the Old Testament. And suddenly God says, ah, it's prepped. And he overshadows the tabernacle so much so that no one can enter it for weak. God moved in. Literally, he tells Mary, listen, you're going to have the Messiah, but this Messiah is far more. This is going to be the son of God. This Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, sanctify you, prepare you. Your womb is going to have the very God of God's dwelling in it. That's what it's saying. This boy is just no boy. This boy is God in the flesh. And in a very real way, she got to say, the God who made her is now the God who is within her. And after she gave birth, he became the God who is with us, the Messiah, Emmanuel. What's beautiful about this is that God's informing her of all the detail ahead of time so she's not freaking out because angels remind us they're here to give us that inside look. Same thing with Joseph, right? You don't have to turn there. I'll just show you. Joseph's about to divorce Mary. Here she's pregnant. Obviously he's thinking this is adultery. This woman needs to be gone. And in their culture, when you're betrothed, that means you were, you were like our engagement, but much more serious. There had already been a covenant signed and it was just waiting for the ceremony and everything else. And And so he has to divorce her. And so he says, I'm going to do this. But in a dream at night, he he considers these things. And behold, an angel of the Lord, likely the same one, appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Gives him the inside look. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Same name. Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And he gets to find out what the ultimate point is. Not only does he give the inside look, he says, it's going to be worth it because this one will be the one who saves your people from the sins. He's the rescuer, the deliverer from sin. And who knows if Joseph and Mary or Joseph he remembered all those details? Obviously he knew enough to tell somebody. But when Jesus, he dies before Jesus ever gets into his ministry is what most people believe. Did he share that often? Would he be the only person walking around? No, no, no. He's not going to save us from Rome. He's going to save us from our sins. Which is incredible because God is giving them this inside look from this angel. And why do I why do I make going off on all this stuff? Because here's the thing. I love it. I love our God because our God doesn't leave us alone in the dark. I love that God loves to inform us because he loves us. Some of you are going through some difficult, awful time. Holidays can be rough. Christmas time can be difficult. You may be going through the first one or maybe the second one where your loved one is gone. Maybe it's just one more that you're checking off where you just, your family is so far away and you're, you're kind of alone. You've lost your job. You're not even sure how in the world you're going to pay for anything. You're starting your career and you're going, there's not even a job I can find. I'm, I'm having to figure out if I've got to move away from my family to another location and I love my family. You may be just wrestling through the, just the pure place our culture's in and going, what's well, so much fun about Christmas this year, guys? What is God up to is the question that seems to be filtering through so many people's minds. God, what are you doing? Would you just tell us? Maybe he can send an angel. It's interesting that angels don't really show up a whole lot post-Jesus' resurrection. They'll appear here and there, but ultimately the angels kind of stop doing their angelic messenger duty, especially when two things occur. Number one, God moves into his church and he fills us and he kind of speaks directly to his church. And he loves to talk to us and communicate with us. And, and you know, it's hard as many of us, you don't know the difference between God's voice and your own brain. And, and I've had this conversation. I had it with my kids just the other day at our dinner table. They were, they were asking like, Dad, how do we know when it's God's voice? How do we know when God's speaking to us? How do you hear God? God. And I took on this illustration a little bit, and it kind of works, kind of doesn't, but follow me with this analogy. I was talking about, well, imagine I'm dead, and it's many, many years later. It's a nice way to start a conversation. And so uh, my kids are like, that's morbid. Okay, just follow me. And, and your mom's, you know, got one of your kids at the house, and they find my journals. Please, God, no. And so they, but they look at them, and they're reading, and they're like, well, whose are these? She picks them up, she looks at them, Generally, seeing not long time. oh, oh, those are your grandpa's. Well, how do you know? She reads it. She likes. well, one, I, his words are all three. This is how he spoke. These, this is how I, I know that voice. I can hear it. If you read it long enough, you'll probably begin to understand what his voice sounded like, too. Now, here's the beautiful thing. The reason I know the difference between God's voice when he speaks to me and my voice is because I know his voice from his letters, his words. God loves to communicate to us. He communicated in poetry in law in story. He communicated to you in letters. He communicates in vision and prophecy. I mean, God shouted and yelled and screamed and sent angels and prophets and leaders and all kinds. He communicated and communicated and communicated and communicated and communicated. And we go, God, what are you up to? He's like, just, I've told you. Why is it so hard? I told you. I want to challenge you. When you see the angels that are floating around, when you see the angels that were sent to explain the inside look, remember that God's given you the information you need to understand the situations we're going through. The question is, do you know his voice? I don't want to challenge you. Are you in the word? My challenge for myself over the next three years is yeah, I'm going to read other sections of scriptures, obviously, because I've got to preach them. But I want to be three years with Jesus. So I just want to walk through the Gospels over and over and over and over because I want to think like he thought. I want to treat people like he treated people. I want, to, I want this thing ingrained into my soul because God communicated this to me. And he communicates it to you. I want to challenge you to be in the word. Maybe you're somebody who's like, I can't read. Just read the same book over and over and over again. You'll at least be able to read that book. That's so boring. So is exercise, but we have to do it. You know what else is boring? Eating. If you really sat down and thought about it, eating's boring. That's why you want people around you when you do it, right? I mean, guys. We do small groups. We talk about loving Christ. The reason we get to love Christ through his words is because he's communicated to us. He didn't leave us in the dark. We don't need to leave ourselves in the dark. And so the angels remind us of the fact that God loves to communicate to us. And, and, and he informs informed us of what we need to know. But there was even more in the background here. I've only touched kind of the beginning point of the angelic experience here because here's a weird thing you and I also realize that this angel has a name right there's only two named angels in the Bible did you know that I don't know if you're Catholic there are three but in the in the Protestant Bible there's only two named angels and that's Michael and Gabriel and what's interesting is why in the world is Gabriel sent why not Mike I mean you got Gabe and Mike why is why isn't Mike there like, Michael would be the guy, right? He's the archangel over Israel. He should be showing up, declaring the Messiah's here. Why not Mike? Well, it's because God's doing something. In fact, what's interesting is when Gabriel shows up, immediately, his first scene in the New Testament, he's in the temple itself, speaking to this old dude, Zechariah. Now, Zechariah's a priest, and Zachariah's like, Whoa, an angel, I'm freaked out. And he's like, Hey, you're going to have a son. It's going to be awesome. He's like... Pfft. And like, like the good old guy who's lived a whole bunch of lives and has all his dreams dashed, he looks at the angel like, ha, yeah, right. And as Gabriel gets ticked, he goes, don't you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. And now you're deaf and mute, or you're mute, you're done. You can't speak anymore, go away, you know, kind of thing. Until these things happen. And, it, and what blows my mind is he expects him to know who Gabriel is. The author expects us to know this guy, to know this angel. Why? Because this isn't his first rodeo. This isn't the first time he's shown up. If you're a student of the Bible, you'll know Gabriel actually appears earlier. If you're new to the Bible, you've probably not seen this before unless you've read this section, and this is an interesting book, and sometimes we don't get this far into the book. But I want to take you back 500 years earlier to a time period where we're in another country. We're actually probably around in the middle of Iraq. We'd call it Mesopotamia. You guys remember that. And in this location of Babylon, or actually in this case, he's in Persia, this guy Daniel has been taken. He's the honor, He's one of the group of honor students that's been taken from Jerusalem, captured to be sent into the gate honor student honor school of Babylon and trained. And he kind of rises up the ranks and becomes over all of these kind of soothsayer wise guys. And next thing you know, God's speaking to him in dreams and visions. Well, he doesn't get the dreams and visions. He doesn't understand. And so he asks for help. And God sends an angel named Gabriel to explain a particular vision. And it lays out the process by which the nations would go through, starting with Babylon, then Media Persia, and then into Greece, and ultimately it ended up in Rome. But he gives them this vision. We see that in chapters seven and eight. But I want to pick up on the second vision because now Daniel is begging God to forgive him of his sins, forgive Jerusalem of, his, of their sins. to to please heal us and tell us how long we're going to be in exile and a mess. And that's where we pick up as you you meet Daniel now, and then suddenly we meet Gabriel. I'll start in verse 20 of chapter 9 of Daniel. It says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, notice the man Gabriel, this is still the angel, but he's called a man, this is what he looks like, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision of the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice, and he made me understand, speaking with me, saying, O Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. What do angels do? They give you insight. They give you an inside look. They give you understanding. That's their job. Here they are. Boom. I'm going to tell you what's going on, what God's up to. And then he continues. And I love this. Then he says, I give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly what? Loved. You're favored. I think these are parallel. I think this is all put together on purpose. God's going, I love you. I communicate to you. I want to give you insight. You are my loved ones. You're my favored ones." Listen, I've got information for you. So God doesn't keep him in the dark when he loves them. He gives them insight. He gives them information, lets them know, hey, listen, you are loved here. Here's what's going to go on. And so he begins to dive into this conversation. Um, so he says, therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And so out of this love, he begins to lay it out. And we dive into this interesting vision that he kind of lays out. It's called the 70 weeks vision. And so what's odd about this vision is he kind of goes like, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, We'll slow this down real quick. Ready? Number one, there's an announcement that will be made, an official decree of some kind to rebuild Jerusalem, which had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon back in 500 and something BC. Okay. So we're talking ancient history here. Now this announcement would start a time clock ticking in which there will be and then in the coming of anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Now, what we understand is when you hear the word weeks, they're talking about years of jubilee and the cycle that they thought in as Hebrews, which was weeks being weeks of years, seven years. And so this is 49 years. There'll be 49 years after this decree, an anointed one will show up and there's debate whether there's one anointed one in this text or two. It doesn't really matter for our sakes, we'll just, we'll just leave that for a second. It says there'll be an anointed one, a prince, and there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it, meaning the the Jerusalem and the city, will be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Now, what's interesting about this is for the next, it says for the next 434 years, there will be, Jerusalem will be built. It'll have this, the temple will be there. There'll be a moat, there'll be this stuff, and it'll be good, but it'll be a difficult time. It'll be troubled. So we've got decree, rebuild, Kind of good, but difficult time period. And then those years will end. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, or his end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And what we have here suddenly is this timeline that's laid out, and then there's another week that, that's after that, and there's lots of debate. And I'm going to get into the theological debates over, the, over where is the 70th week, and when is that happening? Is it still future? Did it happen in the past? We'll just set that aside for a minute. You can have fun on that on your own. Uh, go, go do your homework. And so what's fun here is that what I want want you to see though, is that there's this timeline that's ticking along, and then there's this eventual end to the time. And that end is when the city and the sanctuary are destroyed. We know that date. Of all the dates we are absolutely positive of on this timeline, it is 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. There's never been a temple since, but that temple was destroyed in AD 70. So you get a bit of a timeline. If you guys want a more visual, this is kind of what it looks like. Your first 49 years will be a, de- a declaration that kicks it off, and there's a debate between whether it's a, a, a declaration by a guy named Cyrus or another guy named Darius, and it's a debate between 457 and 455, and those are the two dates that are fought over, okay? Now, if you add in those dates, you get to about roughly 408 BC, when, and we do know the temple was rebuilt during that time. It took 46 years. Jerusalem was set back up. The walls were rebuilt. It was an amazing feat. You can read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and read all about how how that was done. Historically, we know that was set up at that time period, and it kept running, and the city was built with a moat, and there were troubled times, 434 years of it. In fact, the Maccabean Revolt, which is um, this interesting situation, uh, if you've got a study Bible, you can open up, and it's called In Between Your Testaments, the Intertestamental Period, has all those stories in there. And it's about how this evil king, Antiochus Epiphanes, marched down and tried to destroy the and did destroy, or tried to destroy the temple, sacrificed a pig on it, and all of Jerusalem. Jerusalem went crazy. The Maccabees rose up, slaughtered the kings, fought back, won their freedom, only to have it taken away by Rome. And so it's this tumultuous, crazy time, but the temple's not gone. The city's not been destroyed. At the end of 434 years, you land exactly on a date of 27 AD. Some of you are doing the math. It's 26. No, there's no zero on your timeline. It goes one. B.C. 1 A.D. Okay, so there's no zero. And so what you have is literally 27 A.D. That is the date, many scholars believe, the year Jesus was baptized and began his ministry. Closing out exactly 434 years. If it's the 455, then it was, it's still the same situation in 29 when Jesus was baptized. This thing nails it because another anointed one is supposed to appear. That first anointed one may be Nehemiah, may be Jesus, as, as you can change some of the way it's read. The bottom line is there is an anointed one who comes in AD 27. After that 434 years are up, he'll be cut off, which is the crucifixion. There's no chance for this prophecy to have been fulfilled anytime after AD 70 because it's already destroyed. So name me an anointed one who was cut off in the time period and suddenly was in that zone. And nobody can because Jesus is the only one, the only proclaimer as Messiah, continue to be proclaimed as Messiah that holds up to any scrutiny to fulfill this timeline. Why do I bring this all up? Because Gabriel was the one who announced it. Gabriel said, I'm coming to tell you about a coming kingdom. I'm coming to tell you about a coming time where there's going to be a serious end to all the stuff that you're praying about and sin will be dealt with and all these things and there's an anointed one who's coming, he'll be cut off and the temple will be gone. And now he shows up again to say, you know that, that whole prophecy I talked about way back in the book of Daniel and you know, now I'm here to tell you it's, it's ready. Press go. It's time. This one is going to fulfill this prophecy. And I bring this because God wanted to very clearly communicate to his people, especially to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds in the field that, listen, guys, the kingdom of God is coming. It's at hand. Everything's lined up. The time is fulfilled and God is faithful in his promises. God is absolutely faithful in his promises. And I want you guys to understand the angels are announcing the faithfulness of God to us. And we want to be able to celebrate the fact that our God is faithful in his promises. He is faithful right now. Maybe you feel like it's a mess in this world. Well, again, God was faithful to tell you that if we will engage in sharing Christ with people, he has promised us the message will go to every nation and every part of the world. The church will succeed, we will not fail. Do you hear me? That's the promise to the church. We can't walk around like, oh my gosh, California is going to heck in a handbasket and I need to get the heck out. What if God chose you to be here because you're part of the revival He promised will come about if we are willing to get out there and preach the gospel? How many more evangelists do we need to lose? How many more voices in the wilderness? Guys, we're on the cutting edge of the gospel ministry when we're in California. What an opportunity! And your promise to see success if we will engage because He's given us the promise that every tongue and tribe and every nation, all these groups will come. And guess who's moving to California? The tongue and tribes of the nations. They're in your neighborhoods. Maybe you're sitting there going, God, I just keep struggling over this stupid sin. It's always showing up. It's always there. I'm always a mess. Oh, he, apparently, you don't want to sanctify me. No, He is faithful and He's promised you to finish the work He started in you. Do you trust that even in the difficulty, what he's doing is shaping you? Even in the worst case scenarios, he's bringing something out of you that needed to come out of you through that scenario. That the very medicine you receive in your sufferings is the very medicine you need to become the kind of person God knows you to be. And that he's finishing something. Well, God, it's so difficult and I don't get it. All this stuff, we could go on, but God is faithful with his promises over and over and over again. He's faithful that if you die on the way home today to bring you home into heaven because he gave you the promise that Jesus Christ has borne your sins and risen from the dead. And if you've received that gift, you have the promise of eternal life. And our God is faithful. He's faithful in so much. In fact, He's so faithfully he sent these angels to announce even more than just what was happening in their time. He's announcing stuff that's happening in our time. In fact, the angels give us a ton of insight. Gabe gives us a ton of insight about our time. You say, really? I didn't know that. Yes, take a, take a peek at this. And I'm going to uh, skip over this verse real quick. And, and what we see here is that God has become faithful showing us this faithfulness in our time in this week. I skipped one verse. Look back in uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, if you've got it there. I skipped this on purpose because I want to show you what was fulfilled in those 70 weeks. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin. Whoa, whoa, slow down, Greg. To finish the transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity. In the time period between when that Messiah be cut off and the temple is destroyed, in this time period, sin is going to be sealed up and dealt with. The terminology is used as if it's been processed and paid off. In fact, the Greek word in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of of the Old Testament, is 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 a synonym, a similar term to what Jesus yells on the cross when he yells, it is finished. It's sealed up. It's paid off. It's dealt with. God is faithful in his promises. If he's able to bring something about after 500 years and nail it on the day and bring about these things, don't you think his promise that he can forgive your sins and Jesus can pay it off and deal with it is a good one? That's the promise of his faithfulness to everyone we know if they're willing to receive it. He's given a promise and he's faithful and he wants you to hear it because he loves you and he's communicating to us what's going on. What's going on is we're a bunch of sinners in a sinful, messed up world and he's come to save us from it, from our sins. And he's dealt with it on the cross there. He sealed it up. He dealt with it, finalized it, put it away so that you and I are done. He was your replacement, substitute on the cross. That was my cross. That's my judgment. And he took it for me. He took it for you. I love how the, the author of Hebrews just goes off on this. He's just like, look, Jesus didn't go, up into, Jesus didn't go into the copy on earth of this temple because that's what you had to do day in and day out. Go into this temple copy and kill an animal and pour out its blood. Kill an animal, pour out its blood. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus went into the real heaven, went into the real presence of God, and here's what he did. As it is, he, hap- he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin, by the sacrifice, not of an animal, of himself. And so he sacrificed himself to pay for our sins, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to rescue those who are eagerly waiting for him. There's your promises from God. Sin's dealt with. You're not fighting sin in the the same way as they did in the Old Testament. We have something greater. You have the hope that even in your mess, when you fail, you can get up and the same grace is still applied so you can get moving and continue to grow and continue to love Christ and deepen. In fact, what's beautiful is he says next, he says not only is sin dealt with in these 70 weeks, but he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, there's an idea. Now, you're like, righteousness? Righteous, dude. Oh, no, not that kind of righteousness, okay? I like that, too. But this is a different kind. Righteousness meant when you are right with God and therefore now right in justice with others. Everybody who loves justice, everybody who's seeking for justice, and everlasting justice has been brought in through Jesus Christ because his righteousness, his rightness with God has been given to us. You see, what he did is he paid off our sin and said, here, you're not good enough. You're not able to do this. I will give you my life. I will give you my righteousness. Now you're right with God. Now you can be right with others. Go live out my righteousness. Or as Paul would put it in these terms to the Corinthians, he'd say about Jesus, for our sake, he made him who to be sin, who knew no sin. So Jesus who didn't know sin became our sin. Why? So that you and me, we might become the righteousness of God. You get to be right with God. You get to be right with others because of what Jesus did for you. And this is an everlasting righteousness, folks. Think about it. Your righteousness ain't so everlasting, and neither is mine. Amen? It's a pretty big mess if you go, oh, am I righteous? You. But Jesus' righteousness is sealed in heaven, dealt with. He's already died. He rose from the dead. He did it all right and perfect. He's never going to sin. He's never sinned before. And you can't change his righteousness, and he gave it to you. It's everlasting. And that's what was promised in those 70 weeks in a real prophecy. Goes on. One more. He says to seal up both vision and prophet. Well, what's interesting is that in Hebrews, we know that a long time ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he, appear, who he appointed heir of all things through whom he created the world. And what we mean by this is you don't need any more testaments. By the end of this prophecy, when the city is destroyed, the year was 134 AD. The Bar Kokhba revolt had gone on, and at this point, Rome was tired of the Jewish revolts. They kick every Jew out of Jerusalem, they level Jerusalem, rename it Anatolia Capitolina, and they're like, ah, no more Jewish problem. And that sealed the end of the prophecy. By the time 134 AD comes around, do you know what's finished? Every letter that you have that would be called a letter of the, of the Bible. God sealed up the prophecy. He sealed up the visions. We have all the necessary communication. We don't need another book. I don't need another testament of Jesus Christ. We have all the testament we need. Sealed in Jesus Christ, sealed in His work, proven by a prophecy. Oh, by the way, you're like that was written. That prophecy, that you know, way it had to be written afterwards. No, we have documents that are older than the time of Jesus with this prophecy in it. Literally dug up from the from the caves at Qumran. My friends, this is a real thing. God truly loves us enough to communicate to us. God truly loves us to to do these things. And and I didn't even finish with the best one because he ends with this one last thing. He says, look, at the end of all this, after after the temple is destroyed, he's going to anoint a most holy place. How do you anoint a most holy place when it's been destroyed? And the answer is because you, my friends, are the anointed holy place if you're a Christian. The scripture says you are the temple of God. The spirit of God dwells in you. You're not alone. God communicates with us. He's in you. He's with you. Jesus said, I ascend to heaven because if I stay here, you can only have me. But if I go to heaven, I send another counselor and he will be with you, in you. And God has made the move from being the God who made us to the God who is with us to the God who is in us. He dwells with us to guide us, to lead us, to secure us, to give us eternal life. You are favored ones, just like Mary. And the beauty of Christmas and hearing the angels speaking is to remind you, anytime you see an angel, that God loves you, he communicates with you too, that God loves you so much he's showing he's faithful, and that he has given you a faithful promise that Jesus Christ has borne your sins on the cross. He has risen from the dead to give you life. And If you receive that, he moves into your life that he would be with you. To continue to lead and guide you so that in this what in the world are you doing, God, world, you have an answer every single time. So I want to encourage you today. Maybe maybe this week it's something that you forgot. You're like, ah, i got to get back into the word. I want to hear his voice again. It's been so long. You know, i got to get, I got to get back in connection with God. Or maybe today it's like I need to really remember to trust him because he's faithful. And maybe today you need to receive him because God is faithful to give you that promise that your sin, your brokenness, your iniquity, all that garbage was sealed and dealt with by him. And it's sealed in history so you don't have to fear that it'll ever go away because you can't change history. And what he did, he did once for all. And I want to inform you, today is a great day to receive that gift. If you'd like to do that, do that right now. Receive it. You don't have to wait. In fact, why don't we bow our heads together? And Father, right now, I just want to lift up those you may be calling to in this room. You are telling them you're confirming that promise. And I pray that right now they would. They would just receive it. They would trust that you have indeed given them that promise and that you're not going to fail. God, for all of us here in this room today, we just thank you that you've been faithful to us and you've shown us your promises. You remind us through the angels that are going to adorn everywhere um, that you speak to us, that we have your word, and we don't need any other kinds of things, but we have what we need for life because you're with us as well. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you for giving us this reminder through these stars of Christmas, these angels. Help us to love you more because you've loved us so well. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning in here uh, on the courtyard and those of you that are online. We're so glad that you guys were able to get out. There's a lot of stuff uh, coming up over this Christmas holiday I wanted to quickly make one correction, uh, and this, I believe, is good news as well. Uh, We have a lot of applications in for the June missions trip, uh, but that trip is not full. So uh, I was incorrect in that earlier, just wanted to make that correction. So if you're interested in that, uh, go out to uh, Connection Central uh, after the service, and they'll be glad to give you more information about it, give you an application and that sort of thing. like I said, a lot of stuff going on uh, over the Christmas holiday. Uh, for all things Christmas at Olive Branch, it's obcc.church Christmas. There's going to be a test on this here in a little bit is why I say that first. So Kids Venture is hosting. Uh, in- anybody here like cookies? Really? Just two of you? How about cocoa and cookies? There you go. How about Christmas lights? There you go. So Kids Venture is hosting Cocos, Cookie, and then they'll they'll be meeting here uh, and then having Cocos and Cookies, and then you'll be going out to uh, see Christmas lights. So that's going to be a really fun evening coming up on December 15th. So sign up. Where? OBCC.church slash Christmas. All right. We also have gift wrapping coming up. I know a lot of you guys just love the fact that you get right to that last a uh, couple of nights and you got all those gifts to wrap and and it's just something that you just haven't had the time to do we want to bless you with that so if you or you know friends that want to have gifts wrapped December 18th um, at the Target uh, you can go get uh, gifts wrapped we're also looking for volunteers because obviously if you're going to bring gifts we need people there to uh, to wrap them and uh, put the bows on them so you can sign up for that if you want to volunteer at obcc.church/christmas. All right. So we have also uh, been promoting, and this is something that we're so excited about at Olive Branch, and that is the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe play uh, is coming the weekend of the 18th, 19th, and 20th. And I have good news for those of you that are planning on attending and have children. There is child care available. Can I hear an amen? So get that news out to everybody and your friends, and let's just pack the place out and, and just have a great time, uh, you know, supporting in that play. So for all things Christmas going on over the holidays here at Olive Branch, go to obcc.church slash Christmas. Awesome. We love you guys. God bless. Have a great day, and thanks for joining us.